Hey everybody, I'm John Pyle. I'm the digital pastor here at City Church. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast, whether you're watching the video or just listening to it wherever you are. We're really glad that you're here. I wanted to let you know that all of the resources we talk about are available at city.church slash makepeace. Any of the downloadable files that you can write on or read, um, the podcast, any videos, and as well as links to the sermons if you're interested in catching up or if you missed them. So you can check that all out there. We also have been trying this out and we want to know from you, is this good? If this is something you like, if this is a podcast that has helped you, please share it with your friends. Let other people know about it. Let us know how you feel at that page, city.church slash makepeace. But I hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, this next question, how can I stay strong and make peace with all of the sad and horrible news around us? The sad and bad news on TV, social media, radio, etc. How can we stay grounded while all of this happens? Okay. Let me give one, and I'm going to laugh at this. You guys have to remember that I lived for 17 years in Africa with no TV, <laughs> nothing. And um, so uh, I missed, John, I missed the Rwandan uh, genocide. Mm. Even though I was living in Kenya, just across the lake, Lake Victoria, from where it happened. Wow. I missed it. Wow. I didn't know it happened. I was living deep in the bush mm. and um, because I was disconnected from all the ways of getting Media, news and right, stuff, yeah. I didn't know it happened. So uh, this isn't my whole answer to this, but it's a simple starting point and that is that I think it's conceivable, I think it's possible that sometimes we're a little too connected to everything that's going on. Yeah. And it can be overwhelming. We watch the news. News doesn't sell good stories. They sell bad stories, of right? Because that's what everybody wants to see. They yeah. know it draws us in. They're looking for ratings. I get that. And it's news. And, it, you know, disasters need to be reported and stuff. But all the news isn't bad. But that's typically what we're sold. Mm -hmm. And so it could actually be helpful to just be a little bit less connected. Yeah. That's one thing I would say. But more to the point, probably, of what they're really asking and talking about is I think it's pretty crucial that we gain perspective, only in this case, it's not perspective about myself or perspective of, about the person I'm in conflict with, but we need a broader, larger, historical perspective mm. on life in right. a fallen right. world. Right. Okay. So we need to recognize that disastrous things have been going on in human history. Wars and genocide and uh, famine mm -hmm. and earthquakes. These things have been going on all throughout human history. People die unjustly. Um, they're bad rulers, dictators. Uh, they're bad epidemics that take place. And this has happened all throughout human history. That's not to say that those things are okay. Uh, Paul makes it really clear in Romans chapter 8 that the earth groans, that none of us are living in the context that God created us in, but that this whole life experience we have in time has been subjected to the results of human sin. Mm. And that's why bad things happen. And so uh, what God does is he... He allows those things. He won't forever allow them, but he allows them as ways to actually draw us to him. Mm. 
The hmm. other thing that I would say about that, John, is that we need to ask ourselves the question, is God involved? Does he know that these things are going on? Now, there are uh, skeptics in our world today who say this is proof that there is no God. I think it's just the opposite. I think it's, it's indications that there is a God. First of all, the way we define stuff is being bad. Mm. All these bad things going on, I have to have some standard for defining them. If there is no God, then why do we label anything as bad? We have moral values because there's a moral giver and a moral standard in the universe. And as Christ followers, we believe that moral standard is God himself. That's right. And he's the one who allows us to say, this isn't good, this is good, that's bad, this isn't bad. Mm -hmm. And so bad news indicates to me that there is a God. Also, I would say that if we can believe, if we're able to believe, that there is a, a loving God who is at work in bad situations, then there is hope for those bad, that bad news to actually be redeemed. And part of the hope of our Christian faith is in the prophetic books, in the Old and New Testament, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation in specific, that tell us that the world is gonna get more difficult, get harder, it's gonna get worse, but that ultimately it's gonna end well because ultimately God is gonna uh, instill and install his king and his kingdom on this earth. Yeah. And we believe that king is Jesus Christ and that he's going to instill his kingdom on this earth. And so ultimately life is gonna turn out the way God originally designed it. And so why does he allow suffering and things like that to go on? So that the greatest number of people through the suffering that happens actually come to faith in him and live for eternity with him. Hmm. And so there are many issues connected to all of this, but I think it's very important to put uh, things that we see in the news into a larger historical picture, both past history and future history, if we can call it that way, yeah. which the scripture calls eternity. And that's a part of the hope of our faith is that ultimately things are going to turn out right and ultimately righteousness will win out, justice will win out, and those who have committed evil acts will be judged by God for the acts that they've committed and that that judgment will have real ramifications. And so we can have hope for justice, we can work for justice now um, because we know that God is a just God. And so I think whenever I gain that kind of perspective about history and I gain that kind of perspective about God, then it, and I look at what the scriptures say, it gives me a reason to, to be at peace and to be a peace leader and a peacemaker in unpeaceful times. Yeah. And I think that's a part of the role that we as Christ followers have to try to instill and give people hope. Of course, we have to have hope ourselves yeah. in the very things that God has revealed to us about the future. Right, and sometimes we're the people that are making the biggest fuss and talking about how awful things are and making people even more scared. <laughs> exactly, when our role should be actually to say, yes, things are bad, and I even under, sometimes I even understand how you could blame God for this, right. but let me tell you what God has revealed about the future and here's what we can do to help usher that future in right now by the way we live. And so we should actually end up being salt and light in a dark world, really uh, being proponents 
of peace and justice and working toward it, not just fretting about it as we watch it on TV. Well, and that's a good perspective because it's not like sometime in October 1952 was a week where everything was perfect. No. There was no famine, there was no poverty, there was no war. That doesn't exist in human history. And that's to your right. point, it, it's getting worse theoretically yeah. uh, in one sense, but we've been given the end of the story. Yes. We've been given the end of the story for hope. Right. Uh, that's good. That's great. All right. Um, all right. Here's another good question. More relationship questions. I mean, obviously it's a relationship series, so that's the yeah. most specific focus. How do you let the past stay in the past? Like previous relationship issues or things that have happened in your current relationship? Yeah. Um, you know, John, that just, people don't, not everybody listening to the podcast is going to know my story. I'm 57 now, so I'm, I'm getting close to five decades. <laughs> um, so I had two decades of my life between the age of 19 and 39 that for me are, are kind of dark years. Mm. I never go back to those years and feel very good about them. I don't look very fondly on those years. Now, a lot of good things happened to me and to Linda and to our family and our work. A lot of good things happened, I admit that. Mm. But as I look back on those two decades of my five, uh, those are never the ones that make me smile and make me happy. Mm. And it's, it was my, it was me. Okay. Wasn't Linda. That was the problem. It wasn't that we didn't have a great job. We were overseas. We, we, you know, well provided for, we raised four great young kids. I mean, lots that was good. And I admit that, but for me personally, I look back at that past and the past kind of haunts me a little bit. Mm. So I can relate to this. What do you do with a past that you're not proud of? a past that you you either were hurt in or in my case John I wasn't hurt I was the one hurting mm. okay yeah all right so what do you do with those that kind of a past um, and of course relationships that you had and I think the question alludes to that maybe mm -hmm. possibly relationships you had in the past that might even be haunting you a little bit now or ways that you acted in the past that you're acting out again that same way yeah. in your current. It's like, why can't I get beyond where I was? Why does this past always haunt me and always dog me? Well, this is really important. And, uh, and we deal a lot with this around City Church. Uh, many of our listeners who are regulars here will know that we have a recovery program here. And there's a reason we have a recovery program. We believe that in order to live the life that God designed all of us to live, there are three things we have to do. And these are not the three steps of the series. These are three different things. First of all, uh, every one of us has to develop the quality of humility in our lives. And the way you develop humility is you gain understanding and honesty about your story and especially about what's gone on in your past. Because when, when we tell our story honestly not the sugar-coated version that makes me look good on social media <laughs> but the true story most of us don't come off looking very good i didn't john so when i went through recovery six years ago when i first came here to city church 
I knew some of those facts about me, but I'd never put it all together. And I can just tell you at the end of the recovery process, which then was nine months, now it's six months, I was not impressed with John Whitty. Mm. I, I didn't really like who I had been. And I wasn't proud of, of that. And it humbled me. <laughs> and it still humbles me yeah. when I think about it. And we need that to happen to us. Because if you think about it, a humble person is someone that you can have a relationship with. If you have two people who are humble, those people can have a fantastic relationship. So like when, to our earlier question, how do I have a relationship when I'm arguing all the time? Well, you've got two people who both want their way, they're not humble. Mm. And so humility is a crucial quality to good, a good life and good relationships. And the way you gain humility is by an honest telling of your story. Right. And so your past, while it may be not your favorite time to look at, actually can turn out to be a very good thing. And so very practically, we, we do a couple of things to help people deal with their past. We have a thing called life graph, where you graph the events of your life over the total years of your life. Uh, between what's good, we call that a positive 10, what's really, really bad, a negative 10, and then a middle line down the, that's a zero down the middle. You graph the major events, people, places of your life, and you put it out there and you try to graph your life story yeah. and understand where you've come from, what happened to you, and how it is that you've turned out to be the kind of person that you are. And that needs to be done. Then, as after you kind of tell your story like that, then you go back and you start taking it apart at a deeper level. And that's what our peel the onion groups, we call them right now in the recovery process that lasts for six months. That's what you do in a group with other trusted friends is you, you look honestly at your story and try to understand yourself. And for most of us, John, that's going to create humility. Mm. And that's a good thing yeah. because humility is a core piece to relationships. It's also a core to you becoming a mature, the best possible person you can become. Humility is one of the three pieces at the core of that. The second piece that you need in relation to that is you need clarity. So you need humility. And then the second circle that overlaps humility is clarity. And we believe that we get clarity from the scriptures. That's where God reveals to us how he made us, who he made us to be, what life's about, and what he is like and the questions that really matter, the principles that we live by, uh, what's, where did we come from? Why are we here? What are we supposed to accomplish as humans? Where's our world going? How's it gonna end up? And so clarity about our life really helps us understand who we are in relation to who God is and how to relate to other people. And that's what the scriptures do for us, is they help give us clarity so that we don't just repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Right. Also telling your story helps you understand yourself so you don't repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And then the third thing that's added to that, the third circle and the third quality, humility, clarity, and then deliberate love. And this is when I want to do something else, but I choose to act in loving ways. And when I put those three qualities together, now you have a person who has the potential to really live their life at the best possible level they could to tell a better story, we say. And so what do you do with your past? 
how do you deal with that? You deal with it through these, through understanding it. Because here's what happens. When you understand your past and you say, I'm not very proud of who I was, that becomes fuel mm. that drives and motivates right. you to live a different way in the future. And so actually, John, the things that have been negative that have happened to us in the past can actually serve to help us live our future really well and live our preferred future rather than just repeating it over and over again if I understand it and if I've dealt with it. Now, what, what has to happen when you're not proud of your past is there's forgiveness that has to take place, but now you have to let God forgive you mm. for your past. That can be hard. It, it is hard <laughs> because many of the questions that were texted in were, how do I make peace with myself? Making peace with yourself requires you to be honest about who you are and where you've come from and then recognize that God loves you regardless of what your past story is. And those aren't just words. He proved it when he gave Jesus to die on the cross for you. He paid the greatest possible price he could pay to win you back. Mm. And he did that because he loves us. Yeah. And so if God loves us that much, and if Jesus gave his life to forgive you and me, then we can forgive ourselves because we have been forgiven. Just like I can forgive another person because I've been forgiven, John, I have to also forgive myself because God has forgiven me. And it's a hard thing to get to, but the unwillingness to forgive myself is actually a reversed kind of pride Mm. that God can't forgive me. Mm. What do you mean? He can forgive you. Let him and let yourself be forgiven because that's the basis for moving forward. When you experience peace yourself, then you have the chance to make peace with another person. So rather than beating yourself up about those, admit those relationships, admit what happened in the past, accept them for what they are. If they're not good, they're not good but then deal with them and allow that to become the fuel for a preferred future in the relationship you're in now. Wow, that's good stuff. All right, I think we got one more question here and it's a good one. How can I see that I am really the one unable to be peaceful instead of being laser focused on my husband and every move he makes? I can't trust anyone but God. I give it to God, but take it back every day. I want to surrender. I want peace. Yeah, Yeah, this is a really good um, question, John, because which one of us hasn't said, okay, this isn't what I want. God, take it. And then we just take it right back. This is so common for all of us to do. So, you know, kudos to the person for (laughs) admitting it and asking the question. Uh, so in, in terms of a relationship with, you know, now this is a spousal relationship, uh, in terms of just those kinds of relationships, probably everybody intuitively knows this, but, but maybe everybody hadn't heard it, but at the core of any healthy marriage is trust. And so if you don't have that, you have got an unhealthy marriage. And you probably have one that is on its way toward being dissolved. Either you'll dissolve it formally through divorce, 
or as someone else said, yeah. uh, we've lived together for you know twenty years, but the last ten, we're just living in the same roommates. house. We're roommates. Yeah. We're not intimate with each other. We don't love each other like we did before. We're still together. Okay, that that's you know obviously not a good relationship. So trust is at the core. So the problem, and the person who asked it identified it, the problem as trust. But I, I think maybe, uh, and this may sound a little uh, harsh on my part, but yeah. maybe gave themselves a little too much credit. <laughs> I can only trust God because, um, and I get that. I mean, I know she's genuine in saying, I, I want to trust God. I believe God is trustworthy, but I don't trust my husband at all. And that's why she's watching him so closely, right? Yeah. And I really appreciate her admitting that. I mean, right. that the honesty. Takes, it's that's honest. a good step towards it's humility. Huge. Yep. It takes a lot of honesty to admit that. But I think the fact that she's watching her husband so closely like this indicates not only that she doesn't trust her husband, which is clear. Mm -hmm. She's saying that. But it also indicates to me that she really doesn't trust God. Mm. Because one of God's characteristics, uh, it's a big theological term, but it's sometimes it's good, worth throwing them out. He's omniscient. He knows all things. That's one of the qualities yeah. of God, is he knows all things. So I can only imagine that she is using a tremendous amount of energy trying to keep track of her husband yeah and one of the things qualities about god is it's a big theological term but it's appropriate here is god is omniscient he knows all things that's what the term means he knows all things that means john that he knows everything about what her husband is doing he yeah. knows everything about her he knows everything about you everything about me everything about this big world god knows everything he's unbelievable in that regard and so if I am trusting God about my marriage, then I can trust my husband to him as well. Mm. Mm. Not, yeah. Only, yeah. not only does God already know everything her husband's doing, God is also, another big theological term, he's omnipotent, he's potent, he's completely powerful. And so God has this complete authority and power over her and over her husband. She's trying to sort of, I imagine, keep her hand on him. That's right. Well, that's a featherweight yeah. compared to God putting his hand on him, right? Yeah. So if I really trust my spouse, who I don't completely trust, but I trust him to God and I trust God completely, I can be at peace and not have to keep my hand on my spouse, knowing everything mm. he or she's doing, yeah. where they are all the time. That's really an indication, not only that I don't trust my spouse, I don't trust God in the situation as well, because I'm trying to take God's place in it. And it's costing me, because it takes tremendous amounts of money, time, energy, that I could be expending on other good things, rather than something that just works me up. Yeah. Now. John, this question also is a really good question because her, she has an external problem, but she also has an internal problem. Her external problem is that she has a husband she doesn't trust, but she has an internal problem that's actually driving that. Mm. And the internal problem is, is that somewhere in her life, in her story, something happened to her 
that made it hard for her to trust. Now, I want to remind you that at one time we were all children. And children are known for their easy capacity to trust. It's true. In fact, we're almost gullible at some point, oh, yeah. weren't we? We all were. Yeah. I have a four-year-old. <laughs> he thinks I'm stronger than any of the football players on TV. Right. And that is so not true. He thinks I'm as fast as the Olympians. He thinks I'm all of that. You could outswim Michael Phelps yeah, if that's you what, wanted I mean, to. It's his daddy. Of course he can. <laughs> I've made him believe that. Yeah. So, so there was a point in our life where we were innocent and a part of innocence was this capacity to trust implicitly. All right. Then we lost that. Okay. Some of us lost it worse than others. Okay. And I'm guessing, I don't know her story, but I'm guessing that something happened to her a long time ago in her life that has made it very difficult to trust. Mm -hmm. And that's why she says in her question, I can't trust anyone but God. But in fact, she's having trouble trusting him too. Yeah. And I get that. And so the way to work through this, and it's not easy, is she has to go back into her own story and discover why she's having such a hard time trusting. And John, this is true for all of us. So this is her particular case, but we all have issues from our past that if we don't understand what's causing these internal struggles with us, unhealed wounds, unmet needs, fear in our life, sources of pride, why we've become so proud and we always have to be the ones that are right. These problems, these internal problems lead to external problems like she's describing. And so those internal problems go back to events in our past where someone harmed us, they didn't treat us correctly, they didn't do what they should have done, something scary happened to us, and it and it we experienced pain with that, and we don't want to experience that anymore. Yeah. So we kind of took over. Nobody's mm -hmm. ever gonna do that to me again. I can't ever trust anyone again. I've always got to be in charge, I've always got to be in control. Well, John, that that kind of life will wear you out. It will tire you out. Yeah. And it's very expensive. And so by going back and looking, then we're able to discover what happened to me in my story that, that caused me to not be able to trust anyone else. And I would predict that if she could solve that problem, go back and solve that problem, that the problem with having to control her husband might very well kind of go away. Mm. Now, uh, in light of that then, there's a question, can I trust God? Well, if God has blessed you in many ways, which is step one, that's right. you can trust him. He's a good God, he's a loving God. And that's what James says in James chapter one, every good gift, everything comes to us from the father of lights. Yeah. It's a gift from God. So if her life has good things in it, which I predict it does, then God, we think, put them there, he's trustworthy. Secondly, is there anything good about her husband? I just want to remind her she married him. Yeah. If there had to be something good about him that caused her to want to marry him, have all of those things gone away? Or is he still, at many points, a good man? And if he is, then she has a basis for trusting him. 
And then the third step in this case is to let go. Uh, several years ago, I taught the idea of loosening your grip and kind of releasing yeah, it from I your re forearm, I remember? remember? Yeah, yeah. Just lo loosen your grip. Well, the way we loosen our grip is we have to be at peace. And the way you're at peace is step number three. It's through talking to God before you talk to anyone else, before you do anything else, talking to an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God and saying, God, could you, could you give me peace? And keep praying until you get peace. That's a question I didn't answer, but we yeah. need to say it. How long do I pray about this? You pray until you get peace about it so that you can release the situation to God and truly be at peace whether your husband does everything right or not. You know, we all know uh, I'm not going to get everything right and Linda's going to have to deal with that. And Linda's not going to get everything right and I'm going to have to deal with that. Yeah. And that's just the way relationships go. But if I'm at peace, I can deal with it. And then one last thing I think I would say about this is in week two, I also talked about the fact that the standard we use in judging others is the standard that's going to be used against us. Oh, yeah. Well, if I'm pretty harsh on my spouse, hey, why didn't you get that right? Why can't you ever do something right? Why can't I trust you? Where were you? And on and on it goes. That standard's pretty high then God's going to use that same standard to judge me by. And so I, mm. when I think about that, John, it makes me want to be a little more gracious, a little more merciful, a little more generous, a little more understanding, because that's how I'd like God to respond to me as well. Yeah. And that applies to every relationship, yeah. your parents, your kids, your friends. You know, and we see it so much in the marriage relationship because it's so close, but the person is going to let you down. And we can't pick our family, so we're already we're already you know thrown into a situation there. But the person's going to let you down, and so that's a good reminder for all of us as we look forward to treating other people the golden rule, right? In a way that Jesus kind of expanded upon, but treating others the way that we would hope to be treated by God. Yeah, John, I think to kind of wrap up and conclude, something I want to say just from my part is. Let me just remind everybody <clears throat> that the three-step process is a three-step process. It's not a one-step process. <laughs> it's a three-step. And it's important to take all three steps. So as you're trying to work through your particular relational problem, if there's no one there to help you, then very deliberately work through the three steps. Identify the conflict. Give it a name. Mm. State it. Write it out what that is. Then... Step one, what's good about my life even though I'm in this conflict? And be as comprehensive in that list as you can yeah. because that will give you perspective. It will give you the capacity to realize this conflict is, does not define my whole life and I'm not going to let it. I'm going to give it the appropriate amount of energy that it deserves. Then step two, okay, I'm in conflict with this person, but what is good about that person? and be as generous as you can, and maybe you need to talk to other people. Hey, what do you think that is good about so-and-so? And listen to what they say. Mm -hmm. You may discover that other people are not all in conflict with the person you're in conflict with, yeah. and can help you ha gain perspective about that person. Now I have someone that I can build a relationship with. 
not just a bad guy or a bad girl, but a good person. And then take the third step. Once you've done those first two steps, then you have a basis for praying, saying, okay, God, you've blessed me in so many ways. I recognize that this person has these qualities, but you know he and I or she and I are struggling in this point here, and I want to be at peace about that. Help me gain that peace. And these three steps all go together in the process. And you got to take all three of them. And you got to pray until you get peace. Yeah. That's great. Witty, this is so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing this. And we got to answer the questions again sometime. <laughs> these questions were wonderful. And we really appreciate hearing them and people bearing their soul and, yeah. and just trusting us. I really to appreciate try to deal people with uh, texting in, John. It's yeah. good. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for checking this out, whether you're watching or listening. This was incredible just listening to Witty answer questions and talk to him. And over the last three podcasts, I know that I've learned so much. I hope you learned a lot, too. If you want to check out any of the resources we speak about, you can go to city.church slash make peace and you can learn a lot more there. You can watch the sermon, see some other videos, as well as the other podcasts that are going on. If this is something that you found valuable, please share it with your friends. Let other people know about it. You could send the podcast, send the video, and also let us know that this was worthwhile. We've tried it for a few weeks and we hope it was something that can help you grow in your relationships and make peace. I'll see you guys later.